Good to see you all. Good to see the tons and tons of our awesome uh, kids streaming out the back door. Thanks to our many folks who serve in children's ministry and point our kids to Jesus as we ourselves will open God's word here in a moment and, um, and uh, look to Jesus ourselves as well. So good morning. Welcome to Faith Church. My name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, before we get into God's Word, uh, I do uh, want to bring some important news, because uh, it represents kind of a change for all of us here in the coming weeks, uh, but starting next Sunday, we are going to, thank you, sir, I appreciate that very much, it was missing when I, got, I couldn't find it, I was so, I was so thrown off. Starting next Sunday, we are going to gather for worship uh, at 10.15 each Sunday morning, and um, and I know this represents a change for all of us, and so we want to thank you in advance for your understanding, for your flexibility. Um, certainly, uh, some will receive it with open arms and easily, and some are thinking, well, how does that affect my Sunday morning? And we understand, and we just wanted to say, uh, make sure you know that uh, this is something that we think through carefully and cover in prayer as well, the elders and staff, and uh, we were discussing, we were interacting with others within our church family, and, um, and, and deciding that this is what we felt like would hopefully work best uh, for this time period. You know, we, we, uh, we love all of us. We love all of you, our church family, and uh, those that attend on Sundays, those that come to ABF classes, those that attend our life groups. And we uh, make all of our decisions with hopes of helping as many people as possible uh, come to know and follow Jesus Christ. And so, um, you know, we, uh, we know that this will limit the time frame on Sunday mornings a little bit for ABFs. We hope 9 to 10 will work, and they'll be able to come over and join us for worship at 10.15. We needed to keep in mind uh, the, the many people that are not connected to a class on Sunday mornings, and, and we had people that were used to worshiping at 9 a.m. and worshiping at 10.45 a.m. and too early for some and too late for others, right? And so all these things uh, are part of how we uh, just thought together about how can we best serve as many people as possible, how can we celebrate together as a church family, uh, united in worship gathering each Sunday. And so, you know, we may very well need to have two worship gatherings again in the future, uh, but right now, this is what fits us best, and this is what we sensed uh, God was having us to do. So again, uh, thank you for your understanding and flexibility, and if you show up at 9 next week, you'll be early, and if you show up at 10.45, you'll be a little late, okay? So 10.15 a.m., Sundays uh, from now on, and uh, there you go. There you have it. All right, we ready to jump into God's Word? All right, so uh, before we do, I'll, I'll tell you where to turn in your Bibles in just a moment, but I have two things I want to help, uh, help us think through here first. Two questions I want to ask you, a couple of topics I want us to think through to kind of set the stage for what we're doing. First of all, we're kind of, we're in a new year, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to uh, zero it down to a new day. Each new day, each time you wake up, each time your eyes open, what does first thing in the morning look like for you? Start to think about that. What does your morning routine look like? Where do you give your attention to first? Or, or perhaps I should phrase it this way, what takes your attention first most mornings or all mornings I want us to think about what does what first thing in the morning look like for us? How, is that, how does that set our day uh, started? How does that start our week? What does first thing in the morning look for us? You know what I mean? We can think of a lot of things here. I think there's a lot of things that we might be thinking of. I mean, one might be coming to mind is coffee. 
I, need my, I always think of a friend who would come to early morning devotions outdoors at camp with his coffee mug, and he was huddled around his coffee mug like it was the campfire. You know, coffee. Maybe that's where our attention goes first thing in the morning, or to our breakfast. What's for breakfast? How am I going to eat? Where's my, my next meal come from? Perhaps your mind first thing in the morning goes to the TV show that you fell asleep on last night, and you need to see the ending of it, because you know you didn't. Um, Perhaps some of us, when we first open our eyes, we think, when can I go back to sleep? Or can I go back to sleep? Or is it possible to go back to sleep? Um, What else comes to your mind? Things that your life is about, right? Things that your mind gets occupied with. This time of year, my mind is pretty occupied with basketball. I might wake up thinking of a new play for my eighth grade girls basketball team and, you know, how we could score more points. But I know we also wake up with worry, I know we wake up at times with you know, stress or, or with a, a memory from the previous day or from some difficulties we're going through. Uh, you may wake up with work or school on the mind, with chores to do, with a to-do list that feels longer than you have time for. What is the first thing in your, what does the first part of your morning look like? What grabs your attention? And I want to think through this. This is the second one I want to think through. What do you delight in? Now, in asking that question, there's one one problem with asking that question is I'm not sure how many of us really use the word delight very often. Maybe maybe some of us do. I I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I don't know if I'm real used to using the word delight. But what do you delight in? What what brings you pleasure? What, uh, What is something that when you think of, when you do, when you participate in, that it's really gratifying What is that for you? What do you delight in? Um, I know this is several weeks ago, but I delight in Thanksgiving dinner. I delight in, that's my favorite foods. If I had to pick my favorite foods, I'd have Thanksgiving dinner every night. So I delight in that, right? We, We delight in our hobbies, the things that are important to us, the things that we enjoy. I delight in watching sports. I delight in coaching. I delight in, what is your hobby? What are some things that just bring you pleasure and are gratifying and are satisfying when you invest time in them? We delight perhaps in friendships or our kids or grandkids, and those are things that we delight in. So what are those for you? What do you delight in? All right, well, time to get into God's word. I'm going to point our attention to Psalm 19. Psalm 19 is the longest psalm. You're welcome to turn there if you want, but I'm going to put some script, uh, passages on the screen too, so either way. Psalm 119 is, is a really long psalm, a, a poem. It's the longest of the psalms, and therefore it's the longest chapter in the Bible. Psalm 119 has 176 verses in that psalm. And, and, and pretty much all of Psalm 119 is about God's word, is about the Bible, is about his commandments, is, is, it's about listening to what he has to say. And so on the screen, we're just going to uh, roll through a few verses from Psalm 119 really quickly. And I want to see, ask yourselves, do you relate to these? Do these resonate with your heart? Are these things that we could say about ourselves? I will delight in your statutes, your laws, God. I will not forget your word. Then verse 24, your testimonies, your laws, the things that you have said, God, are my delight. They are my counselors. The next, verse 47, I find my delight 
in your commandments, which I love. I love your commandments. I long for, next verse, 174. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. If I'm honest, I don't know that I relate to that all the time. That I would go as far as to saying I delight in reading God's word, in knowing his commandments, in, in, in finding out what he has for me. But I asked those two questions that we got started with a few minutes ago. What does your morning look like? And what, does, and what do you delight in? And I want to consider combining these two things, combining early morning and being in God's word. There is nothing better than starting the day hearing from God through reading his word. Now, is there, a, is there a Bible verse I could point to that says, thou shalt have a quiet time? No. And, and if I ask, and if we looked in the Bible about when we should study the Bible, is there a commandment to say it has to be in the morning? No. And yet, I think we can make a case this morning that there's no better way to start the day than hearing from him, than delighting in God's word. So as we begin a new year, we're not talking about um, an obligation, a guilt trip, something you've got to do, a legalistic checklist. If I do this, God will be happy with, for, with me. If I, if I spend time in the Bible each day, I'm a good Christian. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about an obligation. We're talking about an opportunity that we have as followers of Jesus. There's a case that I think we, can, we certainly have reason to be in God's word, to be study, hearing from him by reading the word. And I think there's a case to be made why perhaps morning is best. So let's talk about that a little this morning. Why the Bible? Why, need, why do we need to be in the Bible? Why do we want to study the Bible? Why ought we put ourselves in a place where we can hear from God through his word? Well, I think the word, the Bible, is the most fundamental means of God's grace to us. Uh, of all the things, of all the ways that God reveals himself, of all the ways that God expresses him and shows himself to us, there are many. And yet one of the best ways, one of the simplest ways, one of the most fundamental ways that God, his grace comes to his, us, knowledge about him comes to us, is as we study his word. And there's other ways that we grow in Christ, of course. We, we need to be in connection with other Christians. We need to fellowship. We need to uh, be part of a church family. We, we need to be in prayer. There are many ways we could talk about receiving God's grace or ways that we can grow in Jesus. But this morning, our emphasis is that, that spiritual life, that spiritual health, that spiritual growth begins with knowing and reading God's word. So, so if you haven't, if you haven't uh, grabbed your Bible, pull out your Bible, open to James chapter 1. James is way back in the back part of your Bible, in the back part of the New Testament. I want you to open your Bibles or open your Bible app and, and find James chapter 1. If you're flipping through the books toward the back of your Bible, you'll see Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, and then you'll find James. Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, then you'll find James. After James are the Peters. First and second, okay, so find James chapter 1, and uh, we're going to look at a few verses together there in just a moment. Let's pray. Father God, as always, we need you now. Father, I need you now. As the psalmist wrote, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. 
God, I pray that we would hear from you in these next few moments as we study your word. And God, as, as, as something that I read this morning reminded me of, of, of how we approach being part of a church family, and I, God, I want this to be true of me. God, I pray that you'd prepare me and prepare all here this morning to come and hear from you, to be encouraged by you, to be expectant that you would, would help us this morning. But God, also, so that, so that it doesn't become just about me, God, I also pray that you would prepare me to be used by you in someone else's life. God, how might you want to use me, work through my words and actions to be an encouragement to others this morning as we are a church family together? Use us as you see fit. Teach us through your word. Now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, James chapter 1. I'm going to start reading at verse 19 right now, and then we'll read some more verses a little later. James chapter 1, verse 19. Know this. My beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That's not where we want to be, right? In our anger um, and and being pulled away from, from honoring God. So it says, therefore, verse 21, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and do what? Receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. If I'm honest about my experience as a follower of Jesus, if I'm honest about my experience studying the scriptures, I did not always delight in God's word. There are times, and perhaps there probably are still times when it is difficult to delight in spending time with God by reading the Bible. And and I certainly am not sure that I've always would would have always described myself as having the Word implanted in me. But here is Scripture encouragement to receive the implanted Word, to have God's truth impressed upon you and 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 part of your daily life and, and always life. So I, I don't think I always have delighted in God's word, but with some intentionality on my part, that being the small contributor, and with a lot of God's grace, that being the big contributor, uh, the past few years, I have been able to study God's word, to read my Bible most every day. Notice I didn't say every? Sorry. I want to. I want to read my Bible every day. I read it most every day. And, um, and uh, right now, as I study the Bible each morning, I'm 90% through the whole Bible for what would be the third time in the last five years. And I don't say that as a brag. I say that, number one, because some of you need the encouragement to know it's possible. You can read the whole Bible. You can read the whole Bible all the way through. You can read the whole Bible multiple times in your life, and God will continue to use it. I don't say that as a brag. I say that to to be an example of the fact that as a habit develops, guess what? I delight in God's word more and more. 
And I have found that to be so true. As, as the habit developed, it became easier and easier and part of my everyday life to be in God's word. And the more and more easy it was and the more everyday part of, of, of my life it was, the more I delight in God's word. I can truthfully tell you I rely on that time in the morning, that I need it, that I notice the difference when I miss. Why? Why would I notice a difference? Why, what would I be lacking? You know, what's so big of a deal about skipping or not reading my Bible very often? Well, here, let me tell you about the Word of God from the Scriptures, and these will be on the screen. The Word of God is living and active, and I will say absolutely relevant and meaningful to your life today in 2000, what are we in? 20. Holy smokes, that sounds space age. For the, living of, for the word of God is living and active. And 2 Timothy tells us that all scripture is God-breathed, that it's breathed out, that the origin of scripture is from God himself, that he wrote it through, yes, yes human authors put pen to paper, so to speak, but God breathed it out, and, 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 it's, and his word is good for teaching and reproof and correction and training. Psalm 119, back to Psalm 119, your word, God, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Romans 15, what was written in scripture it was for our instruction and, and it's for our encouragement and it's through the scriptures that we have hope. Are those things we need in our lives as we journey our earthly life? For Christians, I, I, would, I would submit this to you this morning. For a Christian, hearing God's voice through the word of God, the Bible, it is as basic, it should be as basic as to a Christian, it should be as integral part of a, being a Christian as living and breathing and walking and eating. It should, be, it, should be part, it should be who we are, what we do. It should be the way it is for Christians is hearing his voice through his word. Jesus himself, Jesus himself, who was God himself, took on flesh, became a human, relates to being a human, knows what it's like to be hungry, thirsty, need to sleep, and you know what was part of his routine? He himself quoted Deuteronomy 8 and said this, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus himself, who knew what it was like to be thirsty and hungry and need to sleep, also made a key part of his earthly life rhythm to hear from God. To go, to go spend time quietly listening and interacting with and praying to God the Father. So when, when my eyes snap open in the morning, I might think of basketball. I might think I delight in Thanksgiving dinner. I might think that what I really need in life is my friendships and my family. And those things are all good. And, and God has given those, all those things to us as gifts. But what do I really need what, what does it really come down to? What is really the core need that we have as humans, that we have as followers of Jesus? If Jesus himself needed time with listening to his Father, how much more do we, you, individual Christians, we need to hear from our Father? Once a week on Sunday for half an hour? We need to grow in grace. God, we have this, I said we don't have an obligation, we have an opportunity 
ahead of us to grow in grace, to grow spiritually, to become more and more like Jesus, to please and glorify God in all we do. We have this opportunity in front of us. And if we don't, I, don't, I think if we don't jump in, if we don't take it, if we don't run with it, if we don't ask God for God's help in this growth process, I, I fear we risk wandering away and missing out on all that God has for us. I think we tend to think of salvation as something past tense. We, think of some, we sometimes think of salvation as something we've already attained. If you're a follower of Jesus, yes, you're right, you're saved. If you're a follower of Jesus, yes, salvation is past tense. You've been rescued from sin and death and brought out of the dark and into the light. You've been rescued from death and given new life, amen? So salvation has past tense aspects. But we think of salvation sometimes as only past tense, as only something we already attained. But if you are a follower of Jesus, salvation is something that is presently being worked out as well. That God is doing in us. He has saved us and he is saving us and someday he will really save us. Past, present, and future aspects of our salvation, but those present tense ones we forget if we're not careful. If we're a healthy, true follower of Jesus, we are growing into our salvation as well. It reminds me of Philippians 2 where Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but so much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And at first we hear those words and we get nervous, and we should, because does he mean that we need to work for and earn our salvation? No. We don't work for our salvation. We don't, we don't have to earn brownie points in order for God to like us. We don't have to do a certain number of religious checklist items to earn our way into heaven. Paul is not saying there that we work for our salvation. He's saying that we work it out that we participate in the present tense aspect of our salvation, that we participate in, in, in the implications of our salvations. I have been saved. So what does that look like now in me? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Our salvation is a gift of God. It's, we receive it by faith alone in Christ alone. Not by effort, not by behavior, not by works. And then when we are saved, we work it out with God's help. So standing still is not an option. Standing still in our faith is not an option. There's no neutral in Christian life, past or present. We're either regressing in the faith or progressing in the faith. We're either losing stability in our faith or gaining maturity in our faith. We're either shrinking in how we know about our great God or we're blooming and growing into the fullness of what God has called us to be as his people. So that's why God's word that's why we need to be, you and I individually, not just we as a church once a week, but you and I individually need to hear from God through the Bible. With me so far? Okay. Why mourning? <laughs> this, is some, this is a really good question for some of us. Some of you are going, yeah, why mourning? Why do, is there a five in the a.m. or just p.m.? Is there a six in the a.m. or just p.m.? 
why, why is Pastor Derek going to try to make a case for, for being in the Word in the morning? Well, the Bible, again, I'll say the Bible doesn't have some commandment that says you need to, you need to have devotions before 7 a.m. That's not there. What does the Bible say? Look on the screen at Psalm 1. The, the person who is blessed delights in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates when? So, so maybe there's not a verse that says you have to do your, your, your devotions in the morning. Maybe what the Bible says is what we ought to do is reflect on his goodness, on who he is and what he's done for us by studying his word day and night. But how do we, why might we want to consider morning? And I'm going to just give some credit where credit's due. There's a blogger, author, pastor named David Mathis who, who gives some practical tips in something I read here this week. And I want to pass some of those along and some, as we talk practically about how we could connect with God in the morning. So I just want to give credit there. What we do each morning, here's back to, we're back to thinking about what you, how you start your day. I started, when I first walked up here, I asked you how you start your day. What does your morning routine look like? And he says this. What we do each morning in the first 15 to 30 minutes of our day is doubly revealing. It reveals both where our treasures really lie, what's really important to us, where our heart really goes, and also it reveals the trajectory of our desires and our decisions that, that, that shape our whole life. Our first 15 to 30 minutes of the day reveal what our priorities are and what our trajectory is and where we're headed and what's important to us. And, and so there, while the Bible does not command you know, that we study the Bible specifically in the morning, I suggest this morning that all Christians would do well to consider starting your day in God's word. And my experience has been, my personal experience with, with trying to be connected with God through reading his word is that if it doesn't happen in the morning, guess what? Yeah, for me, if it doesn't happen first thing, if it doesn't happen in the morning, off the priority list. Distraction and, and other pressing needs and all that stuff. So let's take a few minutes here and, and ask ourselves this question. What baby steps might you take toward developing Wait, I lost myself. What baby steps might you take toward developing the habit of being in the Bible more this year? Now, I'm, not a, I'm not a real big, um, what do you call it? New Year's resolution person. I'm not, real, I'm not necessarily real big on New Year's resolutions. But I, do, uh, I did some reading and study this week, and, and I thought this was interesting. We do tend to overestimate our willpower. We like to set goals. We like to set New Year's resolutions, and then what we tend to do is we tend to overestimate our willpower, our ability to get that done, right? Because we charge the hill, we set those goals, we make those New Year's resolutions, and then... So we tend to overestimate our willpower. So, so, so resolves we make in the new year are likely not going to be successful unless they come with new habits, New Year's resolves, apart from new habits, will, will likely become, will not likely become New Year realities. And so um, here's the practical steps that Mathis suggested we kind of walk through this morning. The first one is audit your morning habits. 
So look at those questions on the screen and do the homework here. I might even stop talking for 30 seconds. <gasps> so you can think those through. Our first step is to audit your morning habits. What are your morning habits? What do you typically do in those first 15 to 30 minutes each day? Take some time. Maybe jot it down. Maybe think it through. Why is it important to start with that? Why is it important to start with what we actually do? I should have said that too, by the way. What you actually do. Not, not your ideal morning. Not your wished upon morning schedule. And I'm talking to my, I'm being mean to myself here too. Not your ideal, but what you actually do at the beginning of the day. Why is it important to start there? Because, because if we want to put a new habit into play, new habits don't typically come easily. They aren't free. There's going to be some cost. New habits uh, that really matter don't just typically kind of thread into our life or get added in. New t habits that really matter usually need to displace an old one. You with me on that? We need to think about what those old habits are so that if, we wanna, if we're serious about adding a new habit, it's probably get, there's going to be a cost. It's going to need to displace something. And so we need to identify, the next step is to identify the cost. And take a look at those questions and think these through with me. How can I get into the word of God in those first moments of each day? What needs to wait until later in the day or go away altogether to make space for what's more important? Wrestle with that a bit or jot some notes to yourself. Identify the cost. What's it going to cost you? What might need to go away? or be done later in the day. Okay, so after identifying those habits that are keeping us from something more important, we need to make plans against those obstacles. If there's things that are time wasters, if there's things that need to go or that need to be done later, the next step is to create barriers to the bad. We, we, need to, we need to stop ourselves from the things that are wasting our time. We need to put boundaries in place that keep us from the things we don't want to spend our time on so that we can spend our time where we want, right? So we need to create barriers to the bad. And here's, um, there's a pastor named Kevin DeYoung who wrote this. I read, I read this a couple weeks ago or, or recently as well. And, uh, and this is just, one, I'm going to suggest this as just one example of a habit that, that might need to go. And so he's considering, he's suggesting creating a barrier against it, something to get rid of it, okay? He, he writes this, Kevin DeYoung writes, if you are in the business of making New Year's resolutions, why not attempt one that saves time instead of depletes it. Amen? I think we feel the pressure if we want to make a new resolution, if we want to make a new habit, we're thinking, where is that time going to come from? And he's saying, what if, what if the habit you choose, what if this new resolution you make is actually something that's going to save time instead of take, um, you know, add to your schedule? So he writes, give up trying to keep up. And his one example of something to get rid of, and this may or may not apply to, to each of us, but his one example here is the danger of the 24-hour news cycle. 
that there's always an article to be read, that there's always a breaking news story, that there's always something that if I don't know, I'm not going to be able to talk about it tomorrow. I, just, I gotta know, I gotta know. And, and other people telling me what's important in the news and not, right? So here's his suggestion. He says, let the pop culture whirlwind pass you by. Be wonderfully ignorant of the, wor- uh, of the world of what's happening now. Don't worry. The important news will still get to you. But hopefully most of the other so-called news won't. It can be scary to detach even a little bit from the screams of social media, Netflix, and cable news. But let's not mistake knowledge for wisdom or a multimedia platform for kingdom usefulness. There is no way to possibly stay with it all, so why bother? Look out the window, put down the phone, lose touch with pop culture, and reconnect with God. If you get to the end of 2020 and you can't recall any of the big style stories from, insert your favorite news source here, don't fret. In a few minutes, no one else will either. So so that's just one example of something that could be occupying your time, could be what's grabbing your attention first thing in the day, and, and, and creating and needing to create an, a barrier against it to get, to get that obstacle out of the way. We need to create barriers to the bad. We need to create friction between us and the habits that are sidetracking us, right? We need to create friction between the bad habits of checking email, getting sidetracked by notifications and pings and noises on my phone. I need to create something that's going to create fiction, friction between me and turning on the TV, between me and reading something else besides the Bible. I need, I need to put barriers there so that those things are inconvenient. Take practical steps so that those time wasters are, are inconvenient. Take steps to remove or keep yourself from whatever is keeping you from the Bible. I think all too many of us will relate to this next comment because it, I, don't, I don't want reading the Bible to feel like a chore. I, I don't want to do it out of guilt. I don't want to do it and think, well, got that done. You know? Reading the Bible is not a chore. And so, so there's no virtue in, in making those moments of your day as unpleasant as possible. I'm going to sit on a really hard chair, I'm going to set the timer, and when that two and a half minutes of reading my Bible is done, I'm going to check that off the list. How is that going to help you enjoy the process of studying God's Word, right? Reading the Bible is not a chore, so we need to incentivize the good. This is the next step he suggests. We need to incentivize the good, meaning we need to kind of, in a way, reward ourselves for what we want. And if we want to make a new habit out of hearing from God through his word each day, then hopefully let's make it a pleasant experience. What if we go to a place that's pleasant? What if we turn on sounds that are pleasant? Or some of us want zero sound, and that's what's pleasant. That's fine. Create an environment that's conducive. Create an environment that is treat yourself so that when you go to spend time with God through reading his word, you're you're feeling treated. Maybe now is when you break out the coffee, right? Whatever it is that that puts you in a situation that's conducive, we want want to kind of create muscle memory with spending time with God, right? We want to create an environment that's pleasing and and, and enjoyable, and, and and we want to connect that experience with reading our Bible. 
And then, you know what? The more and more we kind of incentivize the good, we reward ourselves for being in God's word, the more our pleasure is going to come from reading God's word. And now the environment might be less important, and the music I put on might be less important because I, I, I've incentivized the good, and I'm making it an experience. I'm rewarding. My reward is knowing and enjoying God. But here's a, 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 an important reminder. Is our salvation, is our salvation, is our growth in Jesus entirely up to our efforts? No. No. So what's really, what, what I got to be really careful about when I come up here and when, when I encourage you from God's word to be in your Bible more, start reading your Bible. You should read your Bible every day. It's going to be a joy. I promise you, you'll delight in it. The danger there is that we take it on ourselves and it becomes a chore and it becomes a responsibility and it becomes a religious checklist where now if I spent time reading God's word, I must have pleased him and I must be a brownie point Christian. No. Our salvation and our growth in Christ is not simply up to our efforts. We're back, back to that Philippians 2 verse. It said, work out our salvation. Let's put that back up. Work out our salvation with fear and trembling. There's an aspect in which we participate. There's an aspect in which we need to work out what our salvation looks like. God, you saved me, and now I'm working out the implications of that. I'm, I, this is what a life that has been rescued by God looks like. But is it up to me? Look how that verse continues. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. Is that good news? Because at first I was really worried I was going to have to do it on myself, on my own, on my own strength and power. And then right after it said, work out your own salvation, it says, it is God who works in you, both to will and to work. That means, the, the, that means your desire to please him is from God. That means your ability to please him is from God. Yes, there are commands. Yes, he wants you to learn them. Yes, he wants you to spend time with them. And then God is with you and working in you to give you the desire and the ability to follow through, to obey him, to talk with him, to grow in him. We participate, we work out our salvation, but in the end, it's God's grace and his work. It's God who gives the growth. We cannot cultivate something supernatural just with natural habits of our own. It's God who gives growth. It's God who brings us new life now and forever. David Mathis writes this, for those of us who are serious, especially here at the beginning of a new year, if we're serious about making uh, time in God's word daily and consistent, if we are feeling this morning like that's something that God might want us to do, if that's a new habit we would like to develop, Mathis writes, if, if we're serious about connecting with God daily, if we think that's vital for this coming year and the rest of our lives, we look in and through our efforts and strategies we look to God himself as the one who gives the growth. And so, how do we know then? How do we know then that growth is happening? How do we know as we submit ourselves to God, as we go before him, as we spend time with him each day, as we open our Bibles and, and read from it each day, how do we know that spiritual growth is happening? Well, I, I think our growth will include, will lead to, Lives that show 
that God is at work. God not only is the one who brings about growth, God is the one who stands ready to have his word bear fruit in our lives. God is standing ready for, to help you live it out for your words and your actions to be glorifying to God, for everything that we do and say be pleasing to him. God stands ready to help you to have the desire and the ability to do that. I think our growth, we will know that we are growing spiritually if our lives uh, show it, if we live out what God says we are to do, if we live out the love that he has for each person around us, if we live out sharing the good news of what Jesus has done to bring about our rescue. That brings us back to James 1, and this is where we'll finish. If you still got your finger in the Bible, hopefully, or your Bible app open to James chapter 1, let me pick up again at verse 21. So church family, verse 21, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, and he goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Father God, help us to receive with meekness, with humility, the implanted word. God, I pray that would be true for me and, and everyone here this morning, that you would help us to receive with meekness the implanted word, that your word, that your truth, that your scriptures would be part of our, of our very selves, would be part of our daily lives. And God, as we uh, submit ourselves to you by soaking in the word, by spending time in the scriptures, God, would you help us to be doers of the word, not hearers only? Would you help us to not have your word come in one ear and out the other? But God, would you help uh, your word to produce fruitfulness in our lives that we act on it, that we live it out, not because we have to earn or behave or because we need to match up or try to earn points with you, God, but would we be doers, not just hearers, so that your love would be demonstrated through our lives to those around us? Would you help us to live out the love that you've shown to us? We love because you first loved us. God, would you help us to share the glorious good news of what Jesus has done, his life, death, and resurrection? Would you, would you take our experience of being rescued from sin and death, being forgiven and being made right and being made new and being transformed, that our salvation is continuing, that our salvation has present and future aspects as well? God, would you take our thankfulness for that glorious good news and help it to overflow out of us so that others would find rescue in you as well? Because, Father, life is hard for us and for those around us. Father, we could cling to control. We could try to control outcomes. We could cling to what's easy and comfortable. Father, we could think of, of, of only ourselves and, and our self-interest and, and what uh, is best for us. But, God, we thank you that Jesus didn't. We thank you that Jesus came to serve, to live, to die, to give to bring about our rescue. We thank you, God, for, 
for the life, death, and resurrection of your son and that his new life shows us that we can have new life in you too. So Father, forgive us, rescue us, transform us from the inside out. God, instead of being absorbed by self, I pray that we would fill up on God's word each day so that it overflows from our lives. Father, I pray that you would help me to get in the word, to get in my Bible, to fill up on Jesus. I pray that you would help each of us as followers of Jesus to fill up on Jesus so that's who people see in us. We want our lives to be not about us, but all about you. We want you to get all the glory. So God, as we continue now, we lift our voices, we give our gifts, we say our prayers, we hug our church family, all with thankfulness for all you have done to bring us life from death, to bring us out of the dark and into the light. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.